the book of Nehemiah. We finished Ezra last week. We'll continue through the Old Testament. We'll go and cover at least chapter 1 in the book of Nehemiah tonight and see how much. The book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and follow along with us. And Pastor John will slip you a Bible as we pick up Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, as we'll, we'll begin reading. I want to remind you on Sunday, we just also started a new book. Last Sunday, the book of Galatians in the New Testament. It's a wonderful, wonderful letter. It's the first letter of Paul the Apostle that we got recorded in the New Testament. And the theme, of course, of Galatians, as many of you know, or if you were here on Sunday in our study, is grace. And Paul is establishing those Gentile believers in the grace of the gospel, the grace of Christ once again, because there are those who had come along and troubled them and given another gospel, which Paul says is not the gospel. There are those who trouble you and pervert the gospel. So anyway, it's a very important study for us to be grounded in the truths that are there in the book of Galatians, as we are established once again in the only gospel that there is, and that is we are saved by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, not by works. And so uh, come out to that study, invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel as we study the book of Galatians. Those are other things that are in your bulletin. Take a look at it, some of the events that will be coming up. Also, we'll be entering into April, and we got a really busy April coming up. Um, and we're looking forward to all the things, and we'll be uh, getting some things on the calendar and have that in the bulletin here coming up on Sunday. Also, don't forget, we've started uh, sign up for Vacation Bible School, which is going to be in June, June 9th through the 13th. The details and the flyers there, it tells you the theme of Vacation Bible School, which is Moses and the Wilderness Journey. And, um, and you can sign up to help, uh, for um, June 9th through the 13th. And, um, and so um, you can take a look at that. And so we've got plenty of time to sign up for that as well. So pray about how you might get involved with Vacation Bible School, which will be this summer. Lord, we do ask that you just right now help us to just focus on this study. Uh, we come into this place, uh, perhaps a very busy day, a long day. I know that some have been up since very early this morning, uh, busy with work, busy with um, just all the things that we have to do in life, but also perhaps coming in and maybe experiencing um, just challenges or difficulties or loss. I know some have experienced loss. And Lord, I'm thankful that we can come and just receive your comfort. And, and Lord, we know you're here with us to lift us up, just as we sang tonight, to encourage us, to bring comfort to us, Lord, also, we want to make application in our lesson tonight. As we look at the life of Nehemiah and the ministry that he was called to, as we see his leadership, his commitment, we see his humility, we see some godly characteristics of, of Nehemiah that we desire to have more of in our own lives. So, Lord, I pray that tonight would be a tremendous blessing to every single one of us. I thank you for all the people that have come out. I thank you for all the young people that get up and they go up to the youth rooms, the junior high and high schoolers. And Lord, it's like um, there's so many and more all the time. And what a blessing it is that we have the privilege to ground them in the word of God, to love those kids. And Lord, so I pray every person that is in this building, Lord, everyone that is listening on live stream is blessed because we've taken the time and made the effort to just hear from you, and Lord, to receive from you.
to study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we move into the book of Nehemiah, you know that the first decree that was from uh, Cyrus when the 70 years of captivity was over. We know as Second Chronicles ended that it was the house of Judah that went off into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And during that time, Nebuchadnezzar had come into Jerusalem, completely wiped out Jerusalem, destroyed it, and destroyed Solomon's temple. And so in 536 B.C., as the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medo-Persian Empire, we know that Cyrus, the first king, would make a decree that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem, to Judah, and begin to rebuild the temple. And that's what we saw in, in the beginning of the book of Ezra. There was Zerubbabel, the civil leader, and there was Joshua, the high priest, that they would lead about 50,000 people back to Jerusalem and they would build the altar first of all where they would do the sacrifices and then they would also build the temple and eventually it would be done. Well about 80 years later the second return of the captives came under the leadership of Ezra and Ezra was a scribe and he was a priest and he was very concerned about the spiritual condition of uh, the people that had come back to Jerusalem. And so we saw that there was Ezra calling the people back to holiness, back to uh, their you know, dedication to the Lord. And we discussed that last week as we saw that there was revival in the land once again. Well, now as we open up the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to record the third wave of return. And this is taking place in 445 B.C., and what Nehemiah is going to do is he's going to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the streets. Because even though this is nearly 100 years after the first decree for them to come back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the altar, uh, some of the people were building their own homes, but for the most part, there was a lot of rubble that was still around Jerusalem. It still was uh, very much, the, the devastation was very evident. And we know that there was no wall around Jerusalem. And so that causes great fear with the people and distress and, and um, discouragement. And so Nehemiah is going to be called to go and build the wall around Jerusalem, which was important for practical reasons because in ancient times, you needed a wall around your city to protect you and have the gates that you can seal it up and protect you from the enemy. And so Jerusalem, the people were unprotected. They, they felt threatened. There were the enemies and those who opposed the Jews and being back that were all around them. So Nehemiah is going to be a great leader that we're going to learn a whole lot from what it means to be a good godly leader. Because what we're going to see in the man Nehemiah here is some very godly characteristics that as I read about this, Lord, I pray that you would work these characteristics in me, in my life. We're going to see that he is one that is sensitive to people and he cares about uh, people. He's one that prayed to the Lord. He fasted. He knew God's word. He was one that encouraged others, a great encouragement to others. He was humble before the Lord. And he was committed to the call of God, even in the difficulties that he would go through in the people of Jerusalem as they would rebuild this wall around Jerusalem. 
And as I read about Nehemiah, I, I pray, and as we go through this book, Lord, work those things in my life because we're going to see how it is that we can become godly leaders wherever God has us, in our homes, uh, in the ministry that he's called us to, how it is that we can minister effectively and how we can encourage others in discouragement when they're down, when it's difficult, because we all go through those times. And I come to realize how Nehemiahs are needed in the body of Christ. Because we do get discouraged and we get down and, and we um, become fearful at times. And it's wonderful to have those Nehemiahs in our lives that will come along and remind us that God is great and awesome. And to continue to do the work that God has called you to do. For us to be those Nehemiahs to the people around us is what I pray will be worked in our lives as we go through this book and be committed to what God has called us to do. And Nehemiah was a man of great courage. And I pray that as we live for the Lord and as we desire to serve the Lord, that that kind of courage would be in us as well. We see it in Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, we studied him uh, quite a bit. We have over the last uh, couple of years because we've been looking at his epistles. We studied the book of Acts and his missionary journeys. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul the Apostle would meet with the Ephesian elders. And you remember his address to them, that he would talk about how difficulty came to him and persecution. But he hold back the word of God. He was committed to it. He was one that uh, said that, uh, as I know that the Holy Spirit has testified to me that chains and tribulation awaits me when I go to Jerusalem, I don't count any of these things, you know, my life dear to myself because I am going to finish my race with joy. So he was determined that he was going to do what God had called him to do. And he was going to run his race and he was going to run it with joy. And one of the things that we have talked about as we've been going through these books of, of the Old Testament, as we've looked at the kings of Judah, and as we've looked at Ezra and Zerubbabel and Joshua, and as we look at Nehemiah, that God wants to use us, that God wants to do a work in us. And we have a race to run, and the Lord wants to finish that race in you and me. But what can happen is opposition comes against us. Because whenever God is working in our lives, we know that Satan will rise up to oppose that work. And he has different weapons and, and that he will use to come against us. He, he'll try to intimidate us, discourage us. He'll lie to us. He'll try to get us to be full of fear. And that's what we see that the enemy is going to do with the people here as Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. So it's an excellent book with many, many lessons that are for us. Nehemiah, interesting, his name means comfort. Comforter, comforter from God. And we know that the Holy Spirit, he is called the comforter in uh, John's gospel that rebuilds and restores our lives. And we're going to see that the Lord desires to do that as we live for him and as we desire to just serve him. Nehemiah takes place, this book, about 15 years after the book of Ezra. And as I mentioned to you, it's almost 100 years after Zerubbabel and Joshua brought the first captives back into the land. So let's begin to look at the book of Nehemiah. As we read in chapter 1, verse 1, that the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, it came to pass in the month of Cheslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And verse 3 reads, And they said to me, The survivors 
who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So here is Jerusalem, that for the most part still laid in rubble. And keep in mind that Nehemiah here, he has never been to Judah. He's never been to Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. He was born in that area of Persia, and now as we continue reading, when we end chapter 1, we're going to see that we're told that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. Now, as most of you know, the cupbearer was the one that was responsible for making sure that um, the drinks that were given and the refreshments to the king were safe, and it was a great responsibility that Nehemiah had. He was to make sure that no one came along and tried to poison the king. Because back in ancient times, if you know there was a king, such as the king here, Artaxerxes, one of the things that perhaps somebody who coming against the king, and the king always had enemies, that they might try to slip some poison into the wine that he drank. So the cupbearer, he was very, very uh, much a trusted advisor. He was one that was a trusted servant. Uh, he was one that um, was, uh, had a huge responsibility in making sure that whatever came to the king in the drinks, and also he had the responsibility as well as making sure that the food would be safe so the king wouldn't be poisoned. So it's a very uh, prestigious position that he had, but also a huge responsibility being the cupbearer. And you see, he would also, because he had to be trusted, he had to be committed, because that king, when he was there having dinner uh, with guests or whoever it might be, the cupbearer was always present with him. So he would hear a lot of things that the king was saying. So he had to, the king, have confidence, great confidence in his cupbearer that he's going to keep things confidential, that he's going to keep me safe, that he's got my back, that he's there for my safety. And that was the position that Nehemiah was in. So Nehemiah, in being the cupbearer, it was a great commitment that he had made to the king. He had to be dedicated. He had to be committed. He had to be wise. Just as we in our lives, as we serve the king of kings, that the Lord desires for us as we are his servants, that we be committed, that we be wise, that we be ones that, that you know, we realize that we got a very prestigious position and being a child of the living God, being a servant for the King of Kings. Do you realize that? That we are so blessed that we belong to the Lord and we have opportunity to serve the Lord. And we are to be trusted servants for the King of all kings in our lives as he trusts us with the gospel, as he trusts us to be a witness to other people that need to see light that need to see the Lord, the reality of the Lord being worked out in our lives. So here is Nehemiah, a cupbearer, and as we read here, he'd never been to Jerusalem or uh, he'd never been to uh, Judah. Uh, Nehemiah right now is in Shushan, which is believed to be the winter palace of the king. Uh, it was also considered uh, perhaps the capital of all of Persia. But there he is, he's with the king, and Hananiah, which... Bible scholars believe was probably Nehemiah's brother, and it gives us that hint in chapter 7, that he has a group of men that returned from Judah from Jerusalem, and 
Nehemiah asks, how's it going? Now, I don't want us to miss this as he is asking about them and and concerning Jerusalem. And and they give the answer, well, it's not going well. It's been nearly 100 years since they've come back into Jerusalem. The temple's been built. The the, altar's been built. But the city is still burned. It's still in, in, in rubble. And the people are in great distress because there is no protection. It says that they lived in reproach. And what does that mean? It means that they lived in constant disgrace. In other words, those who were in the land, because the Jews had been out of the land, and those who were around Jerusalem and Judah, who didn't like that the Jews were coming back, they were always reminding them, you live in a burnt-out city, and we might come and get you. And we're going to see that they're going to make plans that come against the Jews as they're building the walls. They wanted them to live in disgrace. They wanted them to know that you live in a broken, burnt place and you're only survivors. You see, that's what the enemy wants to do with you and me. He desires for us, as we are servants of the King of Kings, as we belong to the Lord and we desire to live for Him, and as we desire to be ones that have godly characteristics in our lives, like Nehemiah, you see, he desires the enemy to come against us. And that's one of the great lessons that we will see as we go through the book of Nehemiah, that how the enemy does come against us to get us fearful, to to bring us down, to to try to get us to think that we live, you know, uh, in distress and and try to just uh, keep us from doing the things that God has called us to do. So here is Nehemiah that he asks, and they answer him, but I also want us to take careful note of something. We're going to see as we go through the book of Nehemiah that this man really cared. He really cared for people, and he cared for his brethren. And we're going to see that as we read in verse 4, his reaction, that he really did have a burden for the people. In other words, he wasn't just all caught up in his duties. He had a heart for others because he's going to weep for them. And he's going to mourn for them. And they are going to be, uh, you know, on his heart so much that he's going to pray and fast for weeks for his people, for his brethren that he's never met. He wasn't just one that thought, well, that's nice, you know, I'm busy here. I'm very successful. I'm the cupbearer. I got a prestigious, you know, uh, position king and and i need to focus on that and too bad that they're having a rough time you know he really cared and it helps me to realize that that we're to have a caring heart towards people and i'll speak for myself and i'll speak with all honesty there are times that you know you just kind of hey how's it going fine it's kind of been rough well that's too bad and on we go and and we don't mean to be you know indifferent or anything but you know, there are things on my mind, I get busy, I got things to do, and I don't want to be that way. That we're going to see that Nehemiah, that when he hears, as in verse 3, that the people aren't doing well, and they're full of fear, and, and they are living in disgrace, and they don't, you know, have much encouragement that he's going to take it to the Lord because he really does care for these people. How about us? Do we care for people? Or do we get so wrapped up in our daily lives and in our businesses, our jobs, and taking care of our families that we kind of forget about that? 
that we have opportunity to really show the care and the love of Jesus Christ to others. So here he is, and, and he asked it, and they told him, well, the wall's broken down, the gates are burned with fire. In verse 4, so it was, when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So we see that reaction of Nehemiah. He didn't just feel bad for the people of Jerusalem. He wept. He wept for them. He mourned for them. And it caused him to fast and pray before God. Do we weep for people that we care about and love? that aren't doing well, that don't know the Lord? Do we weep? Do we, do we pray for our nation? As we see our nation is declining morally, spiritually, uh, turning further away from the Lord. Does it break our hearts? Do we weep for people that, that aren't doing well in the things of God or don't know the Lord? And we see that Nehemiah here, he's weeping for his people. They're not doing well. They're full of fear. The walls are down. And they're a reproach to those around them. And it causes him to get on his knees and to pray and to fast. And one of the lessons that we see right away here and in these verses as we start this book is before Nehemiah did something for God, God would do something in Nehemiah. God's going to first work in Nehemiah before he works through Nehemiah and that's an important lesson for us to understand as well that God will work in us before he works through us and that's why it's important that as we desire to just be committed to serving the Lord and being used of the Lord and and um, living for the Lord that we need to let him work in our hearts And we need to be seeking him through the word of God because Nehemiah, as we're going to finish the chapter, is a man of the word, but also he was a man that sought the Lord and he sought the Lord diligently, fervently. He sets his heart to pray and fast for four months. And as God is working in him, we're going to see in chapter two when we get there that God is going to work through Nehemiah in a very, very powerful way. It reminds me a little bit of Acts chapter 13. I kind of mentioned it on Sunday. That you remember that Paul, before he went out missionary journeys, that him and Barnabas and, and the men of Antioch and Syria are praying and they're ministering to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Separate unto me uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry. So they were ministering to the Lord through prayer and fasting and worshiping the Lord. And then this is what you're to do, Saul and Barnabas, for the Lord. There's an important, you know, priority that is there of ministering to the Lord. And then the Lord's going to guide you and direct you in ministering for the Lord. That's why I think it's important that next month, I've already touched on it a little bit, that we're going to take as a fellowship a week, that week before Easter week, and we're going to have the dates and more information about it um, that we're going to be telling you about, that as a fellowship, that we just take that week for just prayer and fasting. That we just kind of stop as a fellowship, because God has been working. I mean, I look at Wednesday nights and I think, wow, man, it's growing. And people are coming out to hear the Old Testament. And I think, God, you're working in so many ways. And, but I know that God wants to do more. And I want to make sure that not only are we getting grounded in the word of God, but also that we are ones that are seeking the Lord. 
And I think that's going to be a good thing for us, for you, for our families, for this church family, to just stop and, and for that week, just really spinning and praying and seeking the Lord. We're going to have services every night of the week here just for you to come in. We're going to have the sanctuary open during the lunchtime for you to come in. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday we're going to have a worship night. We're going to have a service for you to come in. And we're just going to pray. And we're going to pray about different things and different days of the week. And we're putting that all together. And some of you have said, wow, we're looking forward to it. You don't have to wait till that week to really be praying and, and, and fasting if you want to. But some of you have been asking about fasting. You know, are we supposed to fast for the whole week? You fast as the Lord leads you. Jesus said when you fast, here's what's important, that you fast and the Lord sees it, you know. And he was, you know, telling how the Pharisees would advertise it and look all gaunt, you know, and put on sackcloth and go to the market. And the people were saying, oh, look at them. They're so holy. They're so spiritual, you know. Uh, look, they fast. But here's the thing. When you fast, Jesus didn't say if you fast. But when you fast, you know, do it in secret that the Lord may, you know, reward you. But we also see in the Old Testament particularly, and even in the New Testament, there was corporate times where they would take and just seek the Lord, the church, the church at Antioch, before Paul went on those missionary journeys. And they just allowed the Lord to minister to them and speak to them. And I think we are at a point in this ministry that, that we really need to do that. And I want to do that, and I feel like the Lord is telling us to do that because he wants to speak to us as a church. Some of you ask him, you know, how do, do I have to fast all week? No, it's between you and the Lord. If you want to skip a meal, if you want to skip, you know, ice cream, like, you know, I love ice cream. And remember, fasting is just denying the physical so you can focus on the spiritual. So it might be a dessert, it might be, you know, a meal during the day, it might be snack time, I don't know what it is. It might be a little bit more. But I think it's more than that. And this is where I'm going to challenge the fellowship in. That when it comes to fasting, maybe that week, the Lord will tell you, I want you to put away Facebook for the week. I want you to put away Pinterest or other things that are out there or you know, just being on a computer or the reality shows that you watch. Just turn it off. I'm going to do that for at least a day, for the week maybe. And instead of spending that time doing that, I'm going to spend some time in seeking you, Lord. And just reading my Bible. Or going out to Calvary at 7 o'clock and they're going to spend an hour in a service and just seeking the Lord. And allowing the Lord to minister to you and then work in you. And I believe that he's going to do a powerful work through us. Continue doing a powerful work. As we head into spring and Easter, as we head into summer vacation Bible school. And I think that the church that is so good today about gimmicks and programs and entertainment, and this is what we do to draw people in, that the church needs to get the power of God back into the church and it comes by the word of God and by prayer and by fasting and by seeking the Lord and desiring to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, obedience. That's where we're going to see the Lord working in a powerful way. That's where you're going to see the Lord working in your family and in your life individually.
So I know I'm parking on this a little bit. But it's so very important for us to understand that before Nehemiah did something for God, God would do something to Nehemiah is for four months he's praying and fasting. He's seeking the Lord. He begins to pray. We, we see that, that prayer is in verse 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome, uh, and, and great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. So even though Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, he still identifies with this people. And he says, God, you're great and awesome. That's a term that he uses in describing God repeatedly in this book, especially when we get to chapter 4. We need to be reminded that, God, you are great and you are awesome. You are a great God. You are awesome. You're all-powerful. And the reason that you are is because you keep your covenant. You keep your word, in other words. Your word is true. You keep your word to us. I'm so thankful that the Lord keeps this word, that when we study this word, as we read the commandments and the promises, as we read here the, 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 the things that the Lord shows us, that his word is true, true to you and to me. Lord, I know that I can stand on your word. I know that it's true for my life. And Lord, that your ear is attentive to me as I cry out to you. Notice that Nehemiah, he calls himself your servant. Lord, please, may your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now. Nehemiah didn't say, you know, Lord, I'm the cupbearer. I got an important position and, you know, I'm kind of the king's right-hand man and, you know what, you need to hear my prayer. He didn't have that boasting kind of attitude, but very humble before the Lord, identifying with his people. He's not going to say those people, you know, they, they ended up sinning and so wonder they're off in captivity and having such a difficult time. But he's really is humbling himself. He sees himself as a servant. You know, sometimes I run into Christians and those who serve the Lord, and, and that servant mentality really isn't there that they like to be noticed, they like to be in the forefront, they like you know, to see themselves above others. May we never, and I pray, Lord, help me never to get there. I want to be a servant. You know, being the senior pastor here just simply means I'm the servant of all. And I know that if I ever lose a servant's heart, and the Lord's still working in me, then I know that I'm going to lose a the Lord. So here's Nehemiah as he's praying, Lord. He realizes complete dependence on the Lord to be an effective leader. We need to be completely dependent on the Lord ourselves. You see, what can happen is, again, Nehemiah, in being a cupbearer, he could have very easily said, you know, I'm very intelligent, I'm very capable, you know, I've worked my way up to be the cupbearer. I would be a great person to go to, to Jerusalem and tell these people what to do and help them get on track. They need me. 
Nehemiah doesn't have that mentality at all. He has complete dependence on the Lord. And then in verses 6 and 7, as he says, we have sinned, I have sinned, a humility in confessing their sins as he identifies with his people. He has no excuses. He's not explaining it away. But he's in this humbleness and in this seeing himself as a servant of the Lord. He's going to ask the Lord, Lord, what can I do? What is it that I can do as God is preparing him? for the calling that he's going to give to him. He continues praying in verse 8, Remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, through some, though some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them into the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. In verse 11, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah is looking to God's promise in verse 8 when he says, Remember the word you commanded. It isn't that God forgot. It's a way to express that, Lord, you're going to keep your word. You're good on your word. It's going to happen. Verse 11, Nehemiah's prayer here is, I'm ready to be used, Lord, if you desire to use me. That's when he's saying that, Lord, may I prosper. May I prosper. He's not saying that I can become more important or more wealthy or have more prestige. But, Lord, I want to be used. He isn't praying that, Lord, find somebody else to help with this. But, Lord, use me to help, to help in any way your servant. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you prayed, Lord, how is it that I can help? Because know that he wants to use you. How is it that I can minister? How is it that I can show that I care for people? Lord, how can I prosper? In other words, in the things of God and in the kingdom of God. How is it that you can use me? How is it that I can be a blessing to others? And know that God wants to use you and he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Have you prayed that prayer lately? Are you seeking the Lord, you know, in, in the ministry that he has for you and living for him? And so here he's praying that as God puts this desire in his heart as we go into chapter 2, and that's one of the things that as we seek the Lord, you know, sometimes we think and we need to pray, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? You delight yourself in the Lord, the scripture says, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The key is you delight yourself in the Lord. And as you delight yourself in the Lord, then his desires are going to become your desires. In other words, he's going to put his desires into you. You see, I've heard people take that passage from Proverbs and say, you know, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, you know. And so ask for a big boat and a big house and more money and all of this. That's not what it means. It means delight in the Lord. That's the first thing. As you delight in the Lord, as he's the priority of your life, as you're seeking him, as you're enjoying him, as you're growing in his love, as you're knowing him more, then his desires are going to be put into your heart. 
as you draw closer to him. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And here's the thing about serving the Lord. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to really serve the Lord because I'm afraid that the Lord might send me somewhere or have me do something that I don't want to do. He might send me to South America to be a missionary in, you know, somewhere where there's, you know, a lot of snakes and spiders. And I don't like snakes and spiders and, you know, the jungle and all of that. Listen, if he ever called you to go to South America or anywhere, he's going to put that desire on your heart. You're going to have a burden on your heart, just as Nehemiah, as we are saying, that he has a burden for the people and he's praying and he's saying to the Lord, Lord, how can I prosper your servant? Hear my prayer. How can I help is what he's saying. For four months, seeking the Lord, and the Lord's going to put that desire on his heart and he will with you as you seek him, as you look to him. And you're just going to have that burning in your heart. You're going to have that desire in your heart, Lord, I want to do this. I've got to do it. It's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was going to quit, you know, teaching the word of God because of the persecution that came against him. But he said that the, the Lord burned, the word of God burned in my heart. I couldn't keep it in. And as the Lord calls you to do something, oh, it's such a wonderful thing. The desire that he'll give to you and ministering and whatever it is that he has for you, the gifts that he gives to you. So here is Nehemiah, the cupbearer, in chapter 2, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. And therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Nehemiah has been praying, again, keep in mind, for four months. The king sees that his countenance is sad on this day, which is an important day. And I'll tell you why when we get to verse 6. The month of Nisan, the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. And his countenance is sad. And it says in verse 2, he became fearful. Why? Because the cupbearer before the king, again, a prestigious position, but also a very, you know, serious and intense position that he is in. Because if his countenance and the king sees that it's sad, it could be an insult to the king. Or the king could think, okay, Nehemiah, you're up to something because you're not fully there. Kind of like, are you planning something? Are you under some stress? Is there some plot? Are you in some kind of funk where I don't have the confidence in you that you're going to make good judgments in protecting me? That's why he's fearful. You didn't just go and have this sadness and, and depression before the king. He was to be joyful of heart before the king and full of confidence is what he was to do. So here he's dreadfully afraid. But I want to encourage us tonight because tonight maybe you do feel a little discouraged or down. Your countenance shows it. But I want to tell you, you don't have to be afraid to share it with the Lord. Because our king, our God, is one that has compassion when we are troubled. But also, the other side of the spectrum is this. Here the king, we're going to say that Artaxerxes is going to find favor with Nehemiah. But we can really tell 
You know, when a person is down, when they're discouraged by their countenance, can't we? We can tell when somebody comes in or, you know, at work or here at church and they're just feeling down and discouraged. And that's an opportunity for us to minister to them. Hey, how is it going? I do care about you. Can I pray for you? Is there anything that we can do for you? And to really have our spiritual eyes open to see people as they come in when they're down and discouraged. Hey, you know what? Can I pray for you right here? For this to be a place for those who countenance is, is not favorable or sad or discouraged or, um, you know, just sorrowful, to be able to come here and be comforted and built up and encouraged. So here he's afraid. Perhaps he's afraid because remember in Ezra chapter 4 that King Artaxerxes had written a letter before this telling them to stop building a wall around Jerusalem. You see, the enemies of the Jews had come along, and they wrote this letter, and, and they said, hey, the Jews are rebuilding a wall. They're rebellious people. They're going to rebel against you, king. You need to tell them to stop. And our Xerxes wrote a letter back and said, yes, they need to stop till I give the command. And maybe Nehemiah is thinking, if I ask for me to go back and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, the king is going to think that I'm rebelling against him. I'm one of those rebellious Jews. And he could have my head for that. That I'm rebelling against them right now. And I think perhaps that's what Nehemiah was afraid of. But he has been one that has been praying. And he's prepared for this. As we read in verse 3, And he said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah explains why he said, Why wouldn't I be sad? He's honest with the king. And when the king asked him, what's your request? Nehemiah shoots up a quick prayer. I think that's a good thing for you and I to do at times. Be slow to speak. Shoot up a quick prayer, you know, before we do speak. Be quick to hear and slow to speak, the scripture said. And Nehemiah, we've been talking about, was one that he um, spent a lot of time in prayer and fasting but you see, effective prayer also is in those times where we just shoot up those quick prayers to the Lord. It's kind of like Peter. Remember Peter got out of the boat? He's walking on the water. And he got his eyes off of Jesus and he started looking at the waves and he began to sink and he prayed. He said three words, Lord, save me. That's all he had time to say. And it was effective, wasn't it? Because the Lord picked Peter up. He grabbed him by the hand the Gospels tell us, and he picked up Peter out of the water and plopped him back into the boat. And maybe you're in a situation, and I will find myself in situations where, Lord, just help me. Lord, give me wisdom right now before I answer. Lord, strengthen me. There may be times in your life where you're just so grieved and overwhelmed that, Lord, just help me. Just help me. And he honors those prayers. And he hears those prayers. So here he is. He, he asked, and, and so the king said, What do you request? He prayed to the God of heaven, verse 5, And I said to the king, It is pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will be your journey, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. 
Now this time here that Nehemiah asks, and so he gets permission from Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. It's a very important date, and I'll tell you why. As many of you know, you go to Daniel chapter 9. The prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And in that, and let me read it to you in Daniel chapter 9. Remember that Daniel, he was one of the captives that, of Babylon. And Daniel, as he was towards the end of the 70 years of captivity, he was praying to the Lord in chapter 9. And he's praying because he knows that Jeremiah's prophecy was 70 years of captivity, then they're going to go back into the land. So Daniel's praying about that. He's praying about 70 years. And all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up to him and says, Daniel, I'm not just going to tell you about 70 years. I'm going to tell you about 70 weeks. In verse 21, as I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I have seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginnings of their supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Stay with me. Just a couple more minutes and we'll be done. In verses 24 through 27, it's one of the most amazing prophecies in all of Scripture. There's a lot of amazing prophecies, but this is really amazing. Seventy weeks are determined for your people, verse 24 says. Who is Daniel's people? The Jews. And for your holy city. What was the holy city? Jerusalem. So 70 periods of seven years. When you read the word week here in the Old Testament, it's a period of seven years. Just like we say a decade, we know it speaks of what? Ten years, right? So the prophecy goes like this. Seventy weeks or seventy periods of seven years are determined, Daniel, for your people and for your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and sixty weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. So part of the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel, and one of the things as uh, my Old Testament uh, survey students, they wanted some extra credit, so I told them, go to Daniel chapter 9, because we talked about Daniel on Monday. We, we studied that book in our lesson. I said, I want you to explain the 70 weeks of Daniel. So part of the prophecy here is that Daniel, know this and understand that the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there's going to be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks, or that is a period of 69 weeks, 69 periods of seven years, or 483 years. Are you with me? When did the command come out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem? We just read it in verse 6. You see, when Cyrus made the command in 536 B.C., it was to go back and rebuild the temple. This is the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, and the street shall be built again, and the wall. Now, as I told you, a very important date here that take note of, it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year. When a day isn't given, it is always assumed in the Jewish, you know, um, 
calendar and, and the way that they set dates, it, it is always the first day of the month. So in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so this is when this has taken place. Now historians and the British Royal Observatory went back to this date and said that that command came out on March 14, 445 B.C. So on March 14, 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes gives the command, Nehemiah, you can go back and rebuild the walls and the streets of Jerusalem. Go ahead and do that. So the prophecy, Daniel, no one understand that there's going to be seven weeks and 62 weeks or 69 periods of seven years that are going to be when Messiah the Prince comes. 483 years, you take 483 years, you multiply it by 360 days, the Jewish calendar, you come to 173,880 days. You take March 14, 445 B.C., you count 173,880 days, and you come to March 6, 32 A.D., or April 6, 32 A.D. What happened on April 6, 32 A.D., according to the British Royal Observatory. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go over to this village and get a, a donkey, a little colt. And if the master asks, you know, or the owner of the colt asks, why are you taking him? You tell him that the master has need of him. And they put Jesus on that, that donkey, and he rolled down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley and probably came through the southern steps entrance of the temple and the people were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was 173,880 days, 483 years, 69 periods of seven years after the command of Nehemiah chapter 2 to rebuild and restore Jerusalem that Jesus comes and for the first time he accepts public worship of the Messiah. And the Pharisees are crying out, stop, this is blasphemy. They're quoting that messianic psalm to him. And Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the very rocks will cry out. Why? Because this is the day of Daniel's prophecy of 69 weeks that will pass between the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem to come in the Messiah, the Prince. And as Jerusalem, Jesus was weeping over the city, he said, oh, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, and you should have known that this is the day of your visitation. You should have known. An amazing prophecy that is given. A coming of Messiah, the Prince. There's more to the prophecy. We don't have time to go into it. Listen. Nehemiah said that, Lord, remember your word. In other words, you're going to bring it to pass. And the Lord will bring his word to pass for you because Messiah the Prince came and Jesus had said he was going to go to the cross and die for our sins and rise again from the grave to conquer sin and death, and he did. He has come and he's going to come back. And we live in very exciting days, very perilous times, and the Lord is looking for servants that will seek him and desire to live for him, and to hear from him, and to say, Lord, use me. Use me. How is it that I can be used? And then to watch the Lord work in your life in a way 
for your family, for your kids, people at work that you have opportunity to minister to, in the church, whatever it might mean for you. But just to seek Him. Because the Lord has come. And we're a part of the body of Christ. And He desires to do a marvelous work in our lives and in our hearts and in this church. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we just began Nehemiah, and there's so many lessons in here. Uh, we could have you know, looked at it so much more and more in depth, but, Lord, we thank you for this man, Nehemiah, who displays such godly character, and that is a humble heart, a heart that believes your word, a heart that desires to seek you, a heart that's committed to serve you, to be used of you, to be your servant, to care about others. Lord, we want to be more like that. Father, I thank you for the incredible grace that Jesus has given to us Jesus did come. And a few days after he rode into Jerusalem, as they were crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a few days later they were crying, crucify him. And freely and willingly he went to the cross for us. So Lord, we thank you for the cross. And as Paul writes Mm -hmm. about the sufficiency of the cross to bring us salvation, So I do pray if there's anyone here listening to the message or if you're listening on live stream and you've never surrendered to Jesus, the Word of God says this, and the Word of God is true. The gospel, the good news is this, that Jesus came and died for our sins because our sin has separated us from from God. We're all guilty. We all have sin. And Jesus who lived a perfect life, the Son of God, came to deal with the sin problem. He came and he hung on a cross for you. He took that cross and went outside the city gates of Jerusalem and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. He cried, it is finished, I've done the work. He was put into a grave and he rose again, conquering sin and death, proving that what he did on the cross, he validated it. He came forth and the tomb is empty. And now he says, come, and whoever believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. But the Bible says, turn to Jesus and realize you're a sinner that needs to repent. That means just change directions and turn to Jesus and surrender your life to him. And you can do that right where you're at because the Lord wants to not only save you, but he wants to do an incredible work in your life. It doesn't mean your life will go perfect, but you have a God whose promises are true and he'll give you the strength and the comfort and the wisdom that you need and to experience life, that abundant life that he has for you. Experiencing life the way it was meant to be lived and that is to bring pleasure to God. But you got to come to him first if you've never done that. And you can pray, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I come and I turn and surrender my life to you. And I confess with my mouth that I believe that you died for my sins. Forgive me. And that you rose from the grave. And that you're alive. Live in my heart. Be my personal Lord and Savior. My life is not my own. And I now trust in you. 
and put my confidence in you for salvation, knowing that you forgive the one who truly comes. I humble my life and my heart to you right now. And thank you for hearing my prayer, Lord. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And for us in this room, Lord, may we, in this season that we're in, and as we've been going through the scriptures, I believe that you've been speaking to us as individuals, as families, as a church, to just really slow down and to seek you. Because we live in very amazing days. They can be difficult, but yet we know that you're still working and you desire for us to be light, to care for people, to give them truth, to love them, to serve. We can get so wrapped up in our lives and in our families and in our jobs and business, and those things are important. But Lord, may we prioritize you in every area of our lives and take the time to seek you and to hear from you like Nehemiah did, that you would work in us because you want to work through us in a powerful way. Lord, I thank you for all those who have come out tonight. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this place that we would just go home and end our day with you as we close our eyes giving you thanks and looking forward to tomorrow what you have for us and being sensitive to your leading. So, Lord, bless everyone here. Bring the comfort to those who need comfort tonight. Bring strength to those who need strength. We all need and ask, Lord, for an extra measure of grace tonight, for provision, for comfort, to know that, that you love us so much and that there's a body of believers here that we love each other. So, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst and in our lives and in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen, amen.